a lot of them. Ice on me, I'm popping. Try and get like me. Awesome. All right, guys. Happy Tuesday. We are live with the very impressive Margaret Wishingrad, CEO and co-founder of Three Wishes Cereal. Big fan of the product, brand, of you and your husband. You guys are rock stars. Um, glad we could connect. Thanks. You, you're, I mean, you're a rock star yourself, and um, we're, I'm so happy to be here and to chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, love to start off, learn a little bit about you, where are you calling in from, where are you guys from, and what brought you into the cereal aisle? Totally. So Ian and I are both from the Northeast. We grew up in Brooklyn. We grew up in Stanford, Connecticut, and I'm in Westchester. And what brought us into the cereal aisle are kids. Um, I stopped eating cereal as an adult just because there wasn't anything in the market. And then we have our two now four. Um, but when he's six months old, cereal I haven't had cereal in the longest time. Um, Ian and I have an ad agency, so we've been working on building brands forever. And I think we've always had the interest in creating our own brand. Um, and then when Ellis started to need to eat solids, I'm like, oh my God, Ian, we should make a cereal that fits our lifestyle as adults and fits our kids' lifestyle as a kid. Um, and that's kind of what sparked it. So I have to ask, bring bringing you back to your childhood, top three go-to cereals. I was an immigrant. My parents thought McDonald's was like fine food to feed your kids. So I had honeycomb, I had Oreo O's, I had cookie crisp. I had every sugar cereal, you name it, under the sun. Like, I don't think I consumed vegetables until I was like 25. Um, so it definitely like you become a single New Yorker, you're getting your life back to like you're in shape, everything's great, and you learn that you should be eating like a normal adult. Um, and so really, really clean eaters, and then you make a human in your body, and like you're like, I can't feed them junky, sugary crap anymore. And so that's kind of what happens. I, you probably feel the same way. Um, like with what we're building, we look at cult favorites and reimagine them with, with clean ingredients. You guys do the same. Um, it's crazy to think about, cause I was a diehard cookie crisp, Oreo O's, cinnamon toast crunch, cap and crunch, rice krispies, uh, or sorry, fruity pebbles was the one I was thinking of. Um, like literally would eat that every morning. Like how crazy is that? Crazy. That is, it's truly dessert. You could have had a slice of cake. It would have been the same thing. Like you look back and really think about, consuming that much sugar every single day how much healthier our kids are going to be um and the next generation is going to be but it's just uh it's wild that that was okay um but i i really am, i'm a big fan of what you guys are building so um and and believe in, in the mission there but can relate um so so give me a little bit of background i will say really impressed with with all the marketing that your team does but can you share a little bit about uh, how you guys decided to go out and start this company and, and what you were doing prior and, uh, you know, in, in addition? So our agency, Big Eyed Wish, has worked with clients from the AT&Ts, the Nestle's and Diageo's of the world. And then we worked with some smaller clients that would come to us with an idea and an innovation. And we would blow out a whole plan for them and help them with in-store execution and all these things that are super important when we obviously roll out a brand. Um, and I think that for us was the thing we enjoyed more than anything was being able to create. And so when the opportunity and the innovative, like the, the white space 
happen in our minds. We're like, all right, this is like a no brainer. It's a lot harder to go from service to product. Um, and I think we're really lucky. We learn from a lot of our then clients, but for us as mentors, right? We saw what worked for them and what didn't work. And we just asked a million questions and figured out like, what is the strategy we want to set for our own product? Um, what does the branding look like? What does the product taste like? So it took a ton of, you know, identifying that and narrowing it down and then executing on it. Um, so it was a really long process. It took us from when we had the idea to when it was in market, it was about two years. Um, and then every day is like an, another lesson you learn and another fire drill you deal with. So what's hard of the service business of agencies or building a food and beverage company? They're so different. They all have their challenges. Um, and in a way, we service someone, right? Whether we're servicing our client that was paying us on the agency side or we're servicing consumers, right? Every bit of feedback, you know, it's too crunchy or I want it sweeter or whatever it is. Like we take each of those pieces of feedback and readjust whatever the business is. And so they're, they're both really hard, um, but there's definitely a massive amount of joy that is brought to you when you have a product that's on shelf. And you, you, like you walk into the store and see my face on the back of the cereal box, it's incredible. It's, it's a real experience. No question. And I think you getting exposure to some of the marketing campaigns that like Fortune 500s are doing versus startup marketing. Can you talk about the differences there? Um, I will say like, I love the Willy Wonka campaign that you guys did. Um, I think you do an amazing job, you know, with, uh, you know, content, social, um, and some amazing press, but can you share kind of really, how do you go, who do, how do you guys think about marketing in 2021 uh, versus marketing for your clients? Yeah, so it's super different when you're working with someone else's budget and your own money that you either got from investors or extract yourself. And for us, um, we try to be as scrappy as humanly possible and think about like, what can we do with zero budget? And what ideas can we come up with to really create big top of the funnel awareness? And that for us is thinking these like gorilla ideas that then snowball and turn into something else. And so Willy Wonka was, you know, middle of a pandemic, crazy news cycle. We're sitting at home and we're like, how do we break through people at home and tell them that they should try our cocoa cereal that they've never heard of before? And so we're like, all right, who do we think about as experts in chocolate? But like, let's try to think of something really cool and not just like, oh, a cool chocolatier. Let's think of someone that makes someone feel some type of way during like a crazy pandemic and all these other things. And so we're like, okay, let's bring in this like fun aspect of nostalgia and let's go on this like wild goose chase of finding ex-child stars. And Ian was literally like digging into like the depths of the internet, finding these like Charlie now, who used to be Charlie in the, in the show is Peter, who's a veterinarian in the middle of upstate New York. So he like cold calls the secretary, calls his house, calls a thousand places. And we finally get to them. And the task was, hey, I'm going to send you my cereal. If you love it, can you endorse it? And they're like, oh, a healthy cereal. Like, all right, send it to us. And we sent it to them. They loved it. And so we got the former stars of the original Willy Wonka. And so that was something that people were, like, so excited to share news cycles and kind of cut the news that was so, like, devastating and sad at that time with something really fun and cool. Um, and so I think we think about that along the way with the brand was, Let's do this for the Willy Wonka. Then, um, most recently, we did a campaign with and likeness. And so we're like, okay, what? You know, our our like core is advertising and marketing. Let's figure out a way to quickly shoot the first commercial with an NCAA athlete. Um, so we did that, and that was a wonderful thing for us too. So I think it's just thinking of really cute 
twists and when everyone's big zigzag type things. It's just like always keep your ear to the street and figure out what ways we can weave our brand into whatever someone's doing. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Um, I saw that commercial too. And I know a lot of brands are trying to figure out the landscape for NCAA athletes and it's really untouched. Um, and I, I loved how quickly you guys reacted, like huge fan. Um, super cool. So talk to me about, uh, you know, when did you guys start the business and how did you, you know, how did you even, you know, make that transition? It's a lot different from running an agency, you know, making a product, putting it into retail plus D to C, um, maybe what were some of the, the, the bigger mistakes uh, that you made and then some of the, the early successes? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think that we've made any massive, like, life-changing mistakes. I think we've been really lucky that we've surrounded ourselves with really good mentors, friends. And I think overall, like, our consumers have been incredible. So we just feel very lucky for the position we're in. But so we launched October 2019. We started development this summer, about two years prior. So it was the summer of 17. Um, it was just, like, really... We really try to apply the things we tell our clients, which is really, really hard. I like to say we're often shoemakers without shoes. Like we think about marketing social sometimes last because you have to finish the product and you have to make sure that it's resetting in the right stores and all the logistical things that you don't think about need to be done first. Um, but it was just really sticking to strategy. And so for us, it was like, all right, we're going to go into natural channel. We're going to try to do canvas natural channel and that's something that we've been working hard on so when you have tempting moments like a retailer that's bigger and someone you might want to potentially be a part of down the line that restriction and saying no this is the time for the brand um is also really important so it's just it's a ton of learning it's really just like taking a step back when you have these decisions think about how it affects the business financially from a brand perspective and all of these like different ways that can affect it and just Act that way and, and really stick to the strategy you set out to, to accomplish and don't compromise on it. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that founders face is when you're building a brand, you've got investors who are involved or want to double down, but then, you know, certain metrics that you have to target revenue being one of them, gross margin of optimization. Yeah. And so like you have these huge retailers, conventional mass, et cetera, that come in and they're like, okay, we'll roll you into two to 3000 stores. And it's so easy to be like, okay, great. I could take that generate X million dollars, no, go raise more money and keep going. But I think to like double clicking on that and, and realizing, okay, it could be a nice hit of adrenaline, but simultaneously could kill your business if you get discontinued in eight months. Right. So that's exactly it. So it's being in the right place in the business from an awareness perspective too, right? You want to make sure that it's not that you're necessarily just getting products off the, like the, the, the demand to get the product off the shelf. You want to create that pull. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, and it's so tempting. You're like, oh, it can be in, you know, 10,000 doors in this amount of time, but that also requires a ridiculous amount of cash and all these other intricacies that are just like tempting. It's hard. Right. Right. And, you know, I will say like, there's definitely been a number of new entrants in the cereal category with Magic Spoon and other competitors. Um, you know, how do you think about direct to consumer and competing with other comps um, you know, I know that especially being marketers, um, I'm sure it's every, every day, the, uh, the arbitrage opportunities on different social channels changes or performance marketing strategies change. How do you think about it? You know, July of 2021. Yeah. So I think when we thought about our brand, when we launched, it was really, 
what do I'm, I am my consumer. I really built the product for my own use case. So it was, where do I shop as a consumer? What's important to me and making sure I nailed all of those things. And so for me, it was like, okay, I'm a mom with two kids. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to make sure it's clean, sustainable, premium ingredients that I'm proud to, to feed my family. And, and that's also going to be something that they're interested in from a taste perspective. And so that accessibility, both in physically where it is and the price point was super, super important. So it's not that we set out to nail like a trend. We didn't go for keto. We went for a general better for you. Um, and so I wanted to set out to conquer shelves before I thought about the internet. And so, yes, do we sell online? Do we sell on Amazon? Um, and are those wonderful channels for us? Absolutely. But for me, it was let's conquer retail and get a great footing in there and then build out what the rest of it looks like. I think I'm so impressed with the remaining, there all the other cereals in the space that have done an incredible job online. And I think that for us is validated that there's a, a massive space there to, to do really well as well. Um, but for me, it was win at retail first. Um, and so I feel like if you double down on multiple channels at the same time, you put the half pregnant effort in, in all of these directions. So we went at retail. No, and by the way, I relate to that. We're all in on retail as well. Obviously, frozen, direct to consumer, not, not, not the move. Um, but I think people forget how powerful retail is when you're getting weekly reorders. And if you're selling on the shelves and performing, uh, there's, you know, there, there are great margins and it's a, it's a really great business. So um, I think that that's a great, it's a really smart strategy. And, and D2C can be really, um, you know, lucrative, but I think you got to be careful not to overspend and, you know, people can fall in, in certain traps there. So love that. But let's talk a little bit about the product. Can you share kind of, you know, I know you're a grain-free cereal, low sugar, higher protein. Can you talk a little about the ingredients and how you differentiate? Sure. So we are, so the fact that we, we were one of the first grain-free products to hit store shelves for cereal. And it's so antithetical to cereal, right? Cereal, by definition, is grain. Um, and that's where it took the most innovation, was being able to recreate that same crunch, the same milk effect. Um, so we are chickpea, pea protein, and tapioca. And then for our flavored skews, it's a little bit of cane sugar, monk fruit. Um, if it's fruity, it'll have vegetable juice in it. Um, and so on that part, I wanted ingredients that we are super familiar with, that we know how to pronounce. You know exactly what a chickpea looks like. You know what peas look like. You know what sugar can looks like. Uh, so really sticking into super familiar ingredients is something that was really important. Um, and so being plant-based, making sure, and, and we think about kids, right? I have so many friends with kids that have allergies to a million different things. So making sure that there's no, there are no oats, there's no dairy, there's no soy, there's no wheat. And that's a really clean product was super important. Um, and so it was so much harder than we ever thought. I wish, like I say it all the time, I wish I could KitchenAid cereal. I really wish I could throw in an attachment and test it. Cereal is such a difficult thing that requires such, it's incredible machinery, incredible technical talent. Um, so it takes a lot of time, a lot of money to develop something like a cereal. And it was far more challenging than I ever thought it would be. But so when you want to test runs, it's not as easy as like, okay, I'm just going to do a quick batch. You have there are crazy minimums and you have like, that's, see, that's, that's really tough because if you want to iterate, I'm like, what, what are we talking? We're talking like thousands of pounds of product. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's tens of thousands of pounds. Is, is cereal extruded or how to bake? Like, how do you? It is extruded. Okay. So wow. it's, it's, it's kind of like pasta. 
Uh, it's different. They're, it's super different. It's, and it's like, there's a million intricacies and that's something that we had to learn along the way was figuring out what are the things that, you know, affect cereal and its outcome. I feel like I'd be like, I'm not a food scientist, but you learn so much about things you never thought you'd ever have any interest in, but you just learn all of these little interesting niche things about machinery and how it affects the outcome of a product. And that's what took forever to really, I mean, we could have probably launched a year earlier with a product we had, but I just wasn't thrilled with it. And the thing for me was always making sure my kids be worst eaters to this day. And he'll eat three wishes because he thinks it's like sugary, bad free cereal, which is great because there's so much protein in it. So I'm thrilled that he'll eat it. But for us, it was like I had to put the bowl in front of him and walk away and see that he wanted more. Um, and every batch we were running, he was like, okay, he'd eat some of them, some of them. He was like, no thanks. Um, but then that final one that we ended up taking to market was one that I placed and he said, mama can add more. And I'm like, we're done, guys. My work's done. Peace. Um, Isn't it wild how many people forget that taste is actually arguably the most important thing for your product? I mean, I think... And this could be maybe because it's retail and I think online it might be a little different. You are not, you try something, you're like, and it wasn't a good experience, you're done. You're not going to be like, good, bye. Oh, I hope you ran for formulated. Let me spend another couple bucks and buy it. No one's doing that. So like that first impression is everything. Um, and so, and we could see like we've had runs where there was like some variations and I've seen consumers kind of like, you know, I've been buying this product for a while. It's a little different. Like, Everyone's a lot smarter. I mean, it's twofold. Some people are like not as smart as you there, but everyone's a lot smarter than we realize and really picks up on all these little changes. So the consistency and making sure your product is what you say it is and as great as you intend for it to be, like that's really important. So product no, first, please. No question. So talk, so, so talk to me a little bit about um, early days, you guys had the product, you're going into retail first. Where are you, where are you now? And where did you really start out to, uh, to scale there? Yeah. I mean, we got very lucky. And I think this is also because it's something we did while we were piloting and like finessing the product was we started to get retailers involved really early and started to bring it to them and allow them to put, like I always call it, put their touch on it. So they'd be like, Oh, I think it should be, you know, I like this flavor or I think it's the texture should be a little bit more like this. And you create that excitement and they feel like they're a part of your team. So when it's ready, it's really easy to get them to want to turn it on. Um, so within a couple weeks from launch, we got into, then it was Whole Foods regionally, um, Wegmans, Sprouts. And so those all happened really early days and they've been incredible partners for us. Tomorrow we're launching with Whole Foods nationally, which is also exciting for us. Um, Congratulations, huge win, that's amazing. Yeah, super exciting. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just keeping the retail partner involved in the process made them really excited to want to bring it. And I think the other thing that made it, and I don't know if it's a little easier, but um, this category was a declining category. So have, and it was two. So one, it was a declining category and we created innovation and brought innovation to the declining category. So I think naturally buyers were so excited. And we also kind of launched into a pandemic when children are home parents need to figure out what they're feeding their kids and I think it you know the first couple of weeks you saw an increase in all those nostalgia type foods where people like oh I'm gonna be on lockdown for three weeks I'm gonna eat pizza doing a couple pounds and then we saw that shift when people were like all right this is gonna be life for a while I have to figure out what you know three meals to feed my kids every single day um and I might have to be a little bit more considered than I realized and 
So I think that was a great opportunity for us to be on store shelves where people were picking up product or online wherever people were finding the product um, and being a solution for them then. And so it's just been a, it's been a great time for a clean cereal. And I think that's part of because the innovation behind it and giving that consumer permission. Um, and also we just saw use case change and people get excited to eat it. And, and what, you know, the cereal category is so competitive, plus it's declining. I'd assume that Kellogg's and General Mills are going to launch and are launching better for you, cleaner options. Yeah. What, you know, but, but in the same way that like we're looking at Ben and Jerry's and some of the biggest players, it's a lot harder to build community and brand and to have an amazing story like yours. But how, how, what, what's your moat and defensibility to those types of, uh, you know, competitors? Building brand, that's exactly it, right? I think there is skepticism frequently with larger, like mega companies like General Mills or Kellogg's for people to be like, oh, they're rolling out a clean product. And then you look at it and oftentimes it's not as clean as, you know, the fun in the box promises. I think something that we um, noticed early days, I mean, Kellogg's did, I think it was a special K, but they did a, a cereal that said with protein and then there's an asterisk. And if you turn it, it was with half a cup of milk. Um, which was very interesting, but I think that's crazy. Um, it is, it's, it's wild, but I think for us, we're building a really strong community of people that discover our product. And I think this is the one important thing is identifying your tribe and who you're selling to, because those are your diehard fans and they are going to stick with you. They're going to share the product with a thousand other people. And so figuring out who those need communities were, I mean, there are the needs and the wants, the needs are going to buy us until the end of time. And the wants might be a little bit more fickle, but we continue to deliver a great brand promise and a great product to them. And we think that we're going to continue to stick around. So for us, it's just continue to serve in your need communities. And they're just going to share that product naturally. And that's what helps brand grow. Um, and so as long as we stick to those key core principles, which is we're going to give you clean ingredients every time, a delicious product that you're not going to feel guilty about, um, and just we're going to continue innovating in, in those naughty things, but make them really good for you. I think that gives a consumer enough reason to stick around. No, it's awesome. And, um, you know, I guess the other question I would ask is, is cereal uh, the only product or do you think that you guys would consider extensions? Like, uh, you know, what, what does the future look like for, for the brand? Yeah, I think so. we intentionally set up, we named it Three Wishes. It wasn't Three O's or anything that was super product centric. It was like just a little platform brand and whatever falls into that, great. Um, but we're gonna keep the same core promises every time. So cereal is a massive category. One of the longest aisles in a supermarket with the most SKUs and a thousand different colors. So it's a massive thing to conquer in itself. So we're definitely cereal first. We're focusing on that first. Um, and then when we think there's enough brand equity in the world and we feel like our next innovations are ready and in a really great place on the product side, then I think we'll start to slowly pull those out and, and extend. But we just want to build a household brand. And that takes, you know, the study was like it takes seven to 10 years to become a household name. So we know it's not an overnight thing, but if we keep sticking to our guns and delivering on what we promise, then we don't see why, why we wouldn't continue to grow. Side note, one of my favorite things I remember eating as a kid were those uh, cereal bars where it was like a all the smashed up cereal with like the frosting on it, which was like that. That was amazing. I'm sure you guys are already looking at that. Um, what advice would you have for people who are willing or looking to potentially quit their jobs, make a huge career transition 
and dive into a, a space that is as competitive, capital intensive, and uh, and cutthroat as CPG? I would say do a lot of homework, talk to a lot of people and ask a million questions. Make sure you're really creating a solution for a real problem, first and foremost, that there's really that space. Um, and for us, we saw that there was a massive opportunity. Um, I would say those million phone calls are so necessary. You're gonna hear a thousand no's, but you're gonna have that yes. And really just like sticking to what you believe in if you really believe that you're creating something that's gonna change the world in some way. I love that. I think that's awesome and, and couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Um, well, Margaret, this has been fantastic. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, congrats, Whole Foods National tomorrow. Thank you, thank you. Huge. Where else can we find Three Wishes? Um, I'm going to pick some up today. Love it. You can find us um, probably included 2,000 doors now. Uh, you can find us at the Fresh Market, Fresh Time, Erewhon, Wegman, Sprouts. I'm probably forgetting a ton more, but pick us up at Whole Foods tomorrow. Done. Whole Foods Soap Pack. Um, you guys will all choose. What's your favorite flavor? Are you asking me my favorite child? Um, it changes every every week. It's a different one. So we launched. It was cinnamon, honey, and unsweetened. Cinnamon was probably my favorite of that. But now we've launched like some like which way is it? Um, so our frosted fruity and cocoa were so good. Frosted is the most recent one. I think it's my current favorite. So it's my favorite child of the week. I'm going with frosted, but uh, I will get back to you. Thank you again, Margaret. You. Have a uh, great rest of your week you and congrats too. on all the success. Thank you. Thank you. Of course.